tonight I'm going to get, continue with a talk series that I began last week, and it's a talk series on the Four Noble Truths. And as I mentioned last week, this teaching on the Four Noble Truths, you could say, is, is such a foundational teaching for most schools of Buddhism. And, and what I found is it's so helpful to understand it and to come back to it again and again, because it, it also makes the, the basis of the kinds of practices that we, we do here together. And uh, I want to review just a little bit of what I shared last week and then uh, take the next step uh, this week. For those of you who are here, uh, you might have remembered I introduced you to the first noble truth. The first noble truth is the statement that there is suffering, not life is suffering, because I think all of us know that there, there, we can have uh, these experiences of joy and contentment and happiness. So it's, it's not about defining life in terms of suffering. It's about um, starting with what's the problem? And as I said last week, the Four Noble Truths is about using this medical model. This is one of the ideas that during the Buddhist time where you, you first state, well, what's the problem? Well, the problem is there's suffering. And uh, what I was pointing out is that this is, in a, this is not a belief system. This is just a, 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 a fact of what it is to be a human being. And then after that, we have the second noble truth. Well, if we, we know what the problem is, what the kind of medical con condition is, well, what's the cause of that? And this is what I'm going to be talking about this evening, which is uh, the cause or the, what, what it gives the arising of suffering is the arising of what's called craving. And I'm going to talk, uh, talk about that and hopefully clarify it. We'll see, but that's the hope. And then the third noble truth is, well, we know what the, the problem is. We know what the cause is. So what, what, what are we looking for? What's the solution here? And, and the solution is, is the cessation of the ending of craving. When there's ending of craving, there's a freedom. There's no more suffering. That would be the solution to this kind of, you could say, this medical condition. And then the fourth step in this medical model is, well, how do we get there? And then that's describing the path. The other thing I, I want to point out, which I think is interesting, is that uh, Buddhism, mostly because of uh, the Western colonization has been classified as a religion. But it is kind of an interesting word to use when I share this, don't you think? Because we're just talking about a human predicament, and then we're, we're here to come together to, to hopefully figure out together how to deal with this. So we're, we're, not, we're not really starting with some kind of belief system. It's about um, how can we make our lives better practically? How can we bring freedom into our lives? And yes, there's a whole range of really pushing that, that potential of what freedom really means. But this is, this is the beginning. Um, so I, I'm, I'm fine calling it a religion. I just, I, I don't know what to call it. Um, but, but hopefully we can find relevance for our lives and for the world that we live in. So the, the second noble truth, the that with the arising of craving is the arising of suffering. In which each, each of these noble truths, there is a task. You know, the, first, the task for the first noble truth was to understand, to begin to understand the suffering in our, in our lives and how it works, the dynamic of it. And this takes this a step further, which is to really understand how suffering uh, arises. And then the task here is to abandon craving. So I also want to talk hopefully a little bit about that as well. The place we need to begin is this uh, word craving, and the, the Pali word is 
tanha, which literally means thirst. And it, it refers to um, kind of a, a, a wide range of uh, kind of uh, mental states that can happen. And it's really this quality of obsessive wanting or obsessively not wanting something to happen or just checking out. And all this comes under this term craving or tanha. So I want to talk a little bit more about this word and hopefully make it applicable to your lives. And, and uh, maybe you've seen this dynamic. The first thing I want to point out is if we just start to reflect on this, this activity of being thirsty, what I want to point out is what I've noticed is there's nothing wrong with being thirsty. My suffering doesn't come from being thirsty. Where it comes from more is if I begin to believe that quenching my thirst with a glass of water is going to lead to lasting contentment, then that's a setup for misery. Because then I'm, I'm, I'm in a believing something about that activity that just isn't true. And it's really easy, right, to, to drink a water, a glass of water every day. You probably have this experience is when you get thirsty, you drink a glass of water and then it's over. And then when you get thirsty again, you drink a glass of water and there's nothing wrong with it. There's actually no suffering there. You're just taking care of the body. But suffering would come in if you start to, start to really start to invest more things into this activity of drinking water where it's like, oh, this is really going to lead to my happiness. This is, this is the solution to my life. I've been looking for it and it's water. Here it is. And then you drink some water and you feel better and you're like, wow, this is really it. And then you start to get thirsty again and then you can have the thought, it's water that's really going to make my life so much better. It's going to be the solution to all my problems. And you drink a glass of water and you feel good again. And when I share this, it sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? Like who would believe that? But what I want to point out, unfortunately, we do this with all kinds of things. Have you noticed this? How we can put so much more into basic things in our life. You know, just reflect on maybe some of the things you've noticed you've chased after. It could be around that perfect relationship, finding that person for your life. It'd be so great. You wouldn't feel as much loneliness. You'd have companionship. And then you find a person, you get in a relationship with them. And then I'll have to explain further, right? <laughs> <laughs> you have good days and you have bad days, but it can feel like that. You have a good day with someone. It's like, wow, this is going so well. And then the next day, you have a bad day and it's like, damn it. You know, I'm so thirsty again. Well, maybe if I get another glass of water, maybe if I have that hit of just being with them again, and then you get that hit of being with them again and you feel good again and you feel like, wow, my life is so complete. This is so healing. And then the next day it's a bad day. It's, it kind of sounds as silly as drinking water in the same way. Doesn't it? And what's happening is how my mind's relating to this relationship with this other person. It's not the relationship itself. 
It's how the mind is relating. And this is the key to the second noble truth, is starting to become curious about how is my mind relating to this experience? This is the inward turn that I was talking about last week. Can I start to have this curiosity because it's a key to more freedom in my life? Maybe a, a trickier one, our health. I find this to be really tricky. I like good health. <laughs> I like when I'm healthy. And I put a lot of effort into staying healthy, keeping my body healthy. And I feel good then. But then, right, you get sick, you get an injury, and then it's like, damn it, life isn't going well. And then you heal and you get a little bit better and you get healthy, and then you feel like, oh, this is the way it should be. Do you hear the same kind of hook that I was talking about drinking the water? Like, I hate to break the news. That's just the way it is to be a human being. I mean, we're guaranteed to get sick if you live long enough. That's the way it's just going to be. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't take care of your body. It's how do you relate to it? Just as how do you relate to a glass of water? You have this really clear relationship to drinking water. You just need to know that you need to drink water every so often. But you don't take being thirsty as a failure in your life, do you? But we do that around health, don't we? Something happens and it's like, damn it. I shouldn't have done this or that or... It's just like thirst in, in many ways. The, our, our health is fragile, regardless of how well we take care of our body. And it's pointing to how is my mind relating to the ups and downs, the vicissitudes of life? Can I be there and be responsive? Or am I getting hooked? Am I really getting obsessed? So again, it's this inward turn and asking this question, how is my mind relating to this experience? Is it obsessively wanting? Oh, if only, if only it was like this. Is it obsessively pushing away? Oh, this shouldn't be happening. Or is it obsessively trying to check out and just not even be aware of experience? And the Buddha speaks to this, this, uh, this condition that we're in. For example, there's a, a story of the Buddha being in the forest and there's a jackal, you could say, or, you know, or a dog who has mange, that skin condition that really makes, makes an animal itch. And, and the jackal's running to the tree or to the cave or down to the river trying to get away from the mange. And then as the Buddha says, then it blames it on the tree, then it blames it on the river, it blames it on the grasses in the field. But the problem is the mange itself. That's what the problem is. And it's blaming these other things for a condition that's right here within its skin. This is the inward turn. Can we stop the, 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 the kind of the dynamic of blaming 
and noticing how is my mind relating to this experience. Blaming others and especially blaming myself. Maybe just a couple simple examples of this, of how simple this can be, this inward turn and this curiosity. So I want to start with a super simple one and then a, a more complex one. So last night I was, I, I led a weekend retreat in Tucson. So late last night I was driving back. And um, as I was driving through Camp Verde, there's this interesting associative link in my mind when I drive through Camp Verde. And the associative link is Wendy's. <laughs> so it's late at night. And then the thought pops up, Wendy's. And then I think, oh, chocolate frosty. <laughs> Why not? You know, and then my mind comes up with all the great excuses. It'd be good for me to stay awake, you know? <laughs> what would be better than like refined sugar and dairy, right? That would be like the, the, the best thing to do. Any sane person would do that. And... And then it was just the inward turn. Oh, wanting. Oh, interesting. Wanting is here. And there's another piece of mindfulness that's really important. But I want to point out how simple this is. It's, it's noticing that wanting is here and just to be able to name that because I, there can be so many arguments in the mind of what I want or what I don't want. Oh, wanting. And then sometimes there has to be combined with mindfulness discernment. When I eat Frosties, the first moments are really great, but actually I feel sick afterwards, even though I was about ready to drop. Isn't that a crazy thing that you, maybe you guys can relate to that. Maybe I'm not the only one that eats things that make you feel not so good. Um, it's, it's taking the long view of, oh, th I'm, I'm not going to go down this road. Oh, this is, this is dukkha. This is suffering to, to pursue that kind of wanting. There's small freedoms in this practice in this way where I actually get to choose the direction of my life rather than being pulled. The other reason that I wanted to share that with you is also to show the collective dimension of craving. Like it also ties into the systemic dimension of, because what it was hooking into is my conditioning as a consumer. There's a whole conditioning around that. It's what makes our economy work. Our economy so much is based on craving. It's tough, this path, the spiritual path. And this, this is why the Buddha talked about what we're doing on a spiritual path is going against the stream. And it's, a, it's an intense stream the one of consumerism. Because really, if you think about advertisements, it's about really saying, basically, if you drink this glass of water, you're going to be so happy. It's going to lead to really lasting contentment in your life. Of course, it might not be the water. I guess there are different kinds of water now you could probably buy that they would say that. You know, it's the car or the vacuum cleaner or whatever it is, or some experience. Do you see how it, it, it amplifies the cause of suffering? 
I, I, I so loved seeing, I remember seeing this years ago in a magazine, and I thought it was so great that they um, labeled this perfume that came out samsara. I don't know if you know this yeah. word samsara, but samsara is, is it describes the world of suffering or the world of craving. And they used it to describe their, their um, perfume. And I wanted to write to them and say, that is so great. <laughs> wow. Just naming it for what it is, you know. Here you're going to buy this and we're going to tell you you're going to be really happy, but it's really samsara. It's just going to be, you're going to spend hundreds of dollars on this perfume and then you're going to be dissatisfied. I think it's a, yeah. But advertisement isn't so brilliant sometimes like that. So these small things, but also for the intense things in our life, like, uh, for example, I was working uh, with an individual for quite a few years, and it was very moving for me. This is an individual who had been in a severe car accident and uh, barely survived. And as a result, I mean, just it was amazing that they survived this car accident. But as a result, there was intense chronic pain in their life. And they were a practitioner, and they really wanted to uh, navigate it uh, with their practice. And it was uh, both inspiring and humbling to really see the depth of the practice that came for them by navigating physical pain, because it, you know, it was very debilitating for them. They couldn't work anymore, and times they could walk, and sometimes they couldn't. And it was uh, fascinating to hear him start to clarify the difference between unpleasant sensations in his body and unpleasant sensations combined with quote-unquote craving. In this case, it's the opposite around than the story I just told of not wanting. And these real descriptions of freedom that came when it was just pain. Oh, it's just painful today. Oh, there's not any not wanting here. There's no craving. It's really kind of bleeding into the third noble truth here. Oh, and here is freedom. Where is the freedom? Because of the way the mind is relating to that experience. It's not in contention with that experience. What I want to point out about these examples is the, the type of suffering that we're examining. So this is all in the realm of what I'd call subjective suffering. It's all about what is my mind adding on to experience. And this is a really important distinction. Because, of course, you're going to come up with challenging experiences in your life that you have to do things about. You have to think about them. You have to reflect on them. And you have to move ahead in all kinds of external ways. So this isn't discounting that part of being a human being. That's really important. It's instead inviting you to also make the inward turn to notice, is there something else going on here too? Am I complicating this more than it needs to be? And then I check out, is there this obsessive wanting? Is there not wanting? Is there a kind of checking out? So I want to be clear about the realm that we're talking about. This isn't some magic pill that you take it and then your life is pleasant for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'd be great to have that pill. This is, about, this is about really coming to terms about what it is to be a human being. 
this, this inward turn. How is my mind relating to this? It's interesting. They, they did a study, such a fascinating study around, um, actually around this dynamic. It was, I, I read this in an article in the New York Times called The Futile Pursuit of Happiness. And what they noticed uh, through a number of studies is that, is that on average, of course, is an average, when people experience bad events, that bad events pr uh, actually turned out less intense and more transient than what people predicted them to turn out to be. So we, we have a tendency to catastrophize the bad things that happen in our life. And on the other side of it, that the good events that we really invent, uh, invest in usually turn out to be less intense and briefer as well. So I want to point out, we have this, this mind that's been habituated to make things more worse than they actually are, or if it's a good thing, to, make, to believe that they're going to be much better than they actually are. And that's where, where I get hooked, is it's, you could say, through the fantasies that my mind is creating around both of those. These fantasies we could call a kind of craving. Can I start to become curious about it? Because then I don't buy into it. I don't, I don't get off the highway and go buy something I don't want. <laughs> and I mean this on, on so many different levels. <clears throat> Making the inward turn, noticing how is your mind relating to the various experiences in your life? So in light of this, I, I still want to point out you can have aspirations and goals and even what I would call desires. That's not the problem, right? It's about how you relate to them, how you hold them. Is there, is there a clear forward movement where you're not suffering? Or is there suffering in your aspirations and goals? Is there a kind of fear that's driving you or a kind of worry? That's something really important to examine and to notice if we want to live our lives in a different way. How to practice this, how to begin to abandon craving. So I want to share two, two, you could say, dimensions to, to abandoning craving. The how is really coming back to mindfulness. Can I make the inward turn and be aware of how is my mind relating to this moment? And it's going to be how is it relating to a sound or a thought or an image? How is it relating to a particular sensation or a smell? And noticing, is it wanting more of that? Is it not wanting? Or is it checking out? And then like with my frosty example, there are times 
to remember that there's this aspect of mindfulness where it's about not pursuing something, about refraining. It's so important. And so what I, what I want to point out is what it isn't. In terms of this exploration, it's not trying to figure out why this is happening. Like even though I think it's important to see the collective dimension of consumerism, because it's the society that we live in and your mind is society. But in terms of the direct experience, I'm just trying to see, oh, this is just wanting. Or this is just not wanting. Or this is checking out. I don't need to like figure out why am I a person that likes Frosties? Like what happened to me in my childhood? <laughs> Maybe that's an important exploration. Okay, I am pulling a little bit that it can be helpful, but it's more direct than that. And it's I hope you hear it's not about getting rid of. I'm kind of checking out what not wanting feels like or what wanting feels like. I'm not pursuing it, but I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not pursuing it, I'm not fueling it, but I'm just checking it out. I'm learning how to sit with it. This is what we talked about uh, last week as well. And so what happens with this? What is this abandonment? How does it happen? What I've noticed in my own life is that when there's some kind of challenge like this, you know, I'm filled with fear or worry, what I find ha comes with mindfulness is it might not go away. It might not even decrease. Because remember, I'm not trying to get rid of it. I'm just trying to notice it. But what can emerge is a kind of space around it. And that can be so relieving that I can start to taste a freedom within my difficulties. Isn't that cool that even your difficulties don't have to go away? There can be freedom right here in the midst of them. Just to have a little bit more breathing space. Phew. You know, it reminds me, an uh, interviewer once asked Georgia O'Keeffe, the, the great um, artist, um, if she had ever been really afraid in her life. And also remember, you know, the context of uh, where she was, um, the, the time that she was doing art, you know, it was a time where women were still heavily disempowered, not that they're still not disempowered, but even then, to be an artist, a woman artist during those times, was a very challenging. And uh, her comment was, oh, I, I, I'm afraid all the time. I just don't let it stop me. And I think that points to the direction of this, this path of, of finding, abandoning uh, craving by just having more space around it, so I'm not as driven by it, not lost as lost in it. And then I think over time, craving can start to fall away. And again, it's not about getting rid of it. Like the, the, the image that the Buddha gives for the process of abandonment, I, I find really striking. He says, imagine there's the, that there's this seafaring ship and it's, it's, uh, it's landed on this beach. And there it is, it's hanging out on the beach and, and the rigging is getting pummeled by the, the wind and the rain and the sun. So the, the, the sails and the ropes. And over time, what happens just by that constant wind and rain and sun is just the rigging starts to fall away on its own. There's like this natural letting go that happens. 
And there's a freedom from that. There's not a, a being bound or entangled anymore. You can move forward with a, a fluidity. And what I appreciate about this image is it reminds me, and I find this so helpful, is I don't need to let go of the difficulties in my life. I don't even need to let go of craving. I don't need to let go of my not wanting this to happen, which I find relieving. I just need to see it. And when I see it, there can be a disentanglement that, that begins to happen. But my job's really clear. I just need to be mindful. Because what can start to happen with letting go is then, then we're just pushing something away. Then we're lost in craving again. Again, what makes this practice so difficult is how simple it is. It's to, to do the inward turn and find a different place to rest, which is in being aware of your experience. Just for those moments. It's that inward turn. And noticing how is your mind relating to this. So let's give it a try. So uh, what I invite you to do is um, you just might want to just take a minute or two to maybe stretch your legs or move around, and then we'll begin to sit together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.